Thank you for joining us here at Life Church. It's an honor to share God's word with you today. Our prayer is that you will connect with Jesus Christ as you hear his word online. We'd love to have you visit one of our upcoming gatherings. For more information, visit us online at www.liferva.org or contact our church offices and we'll be happy to help you in any way that we can. Let's go now to one of our recent services where you can experience a life-giving message from God's Word. Thank God. I know I'm not what I'm supposed to be. But thank God I'm not what I used to be either. Amen? Amen. Why don't you, before you're seated, hug somebody's neck, tell them it's good to see them in church today. See, that's how we say shake hands in the the South. Hug somebody's neck. (laughs) Craig, just a little bit more on the monitor for me, sir. Amen, amen, amen. God is good, isn't he? Good to see everybody today. Welcome. We are well into our sermon series called God's Top Ten, a study of the Ten Commandments and how they still relate to our lives. The first four commandments have to do with our vertical relationship with God. You shall have no other gods before me. Put God first. Number two, don't make or worship idols. Number three, don't take the Lord's name in vain. Number four, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. And then our last six commandments have to do with our horizontal relationship with others. Honor your mother and father. Last week we talked about uh, the value of life. Do not murder. And uh, I just want to say this. What a beautiful healing that has taken place in the body of Christ during this series. Amen. It's been amazing. Uh, You haven't had the privilege of hearing some of the testimonies and the stories that people have shared with me about what God is doing. And I just think it's amazing what we're doing because we're trying to get back to obeying the word of God. Amen. What a difference that makes. That's where his blessing is. So, I believe today is going to be no different. Let's look at the seventh commandment. I thought last week was tough. Today's going to be a tough one too. Exodus chapter 20 verse 14. Are you ready? You must not commit adultery. We were joking before uh, uh, the service in the, uh, in the pre-service meeting and one of the praise team members said, now pastor, there's no wiggle room on that one, is there? <laughs> I said, no, this was not like the Sabbath. This was not where there's a little gray area and a little play area. This was pretty cut and dry. You must not commit adultery. So today I want to preach on this subject, protect your marriage. Protect your marriage. And let me just begin by saying, if you're single, there's going to be some good stuff here for you as well. So please don't tune me out. Tune right in. Amen. Now, if you were uh, driving on a busy highway and you saw an exit sign that said, do not enter, would you resent it and proceed on? Or would you realize that that's put there to keep me from some kind of danger or from being somewhere that I'm not supposed to be? Do not enter, or no trespassing, which by the way are both good signs for this command. I'll just say that. Don't enter in any unfault, any uh, ungodly relationships, and no trespassing in an area that you're not supposed to be. Amen? Those are negative commands with a positive purpose, right? You see a road sign that says, dangerous uh, curve ahead, or, you know, 
uh, bridges freeze when ice, when, uh, uh, when, when uh, bridges ice over in cold weather. These are things to warn us, to protect us. And a lot, it's a lot like the Ten Commandments when you think about it, because when we play by God's rules, you always win in the end, right? Now, we just had a, uh, we just had a great marriage seminar last weekend, and we talked about a lot of the ways to protect and strengthen your marriage. And I can tell you that nothing destroys a family or a marriage quicker than adultery. Amen? It's crazy to me that we live in a culture that defends and even promotes adultery. Sex outside of the covenant of marriage is glamorized in the media. It's in, glamorized in magazines and in movies and on television at a staggeringly disproportionate level compared to how they depict married couples. I mean, if you watch TV, they make married people look like a bunch of dorks. <laughs> you know, oh, I'm not married. I've been married for 40 years. I don't have any fun. And then they make all the single people who are doing all this stuff look like, I mean, they're just living the good life. And marriage is nothing but a ball and chain. How many of you will admit that that's the way Hollywood depicts married life, right? That destructive message that we see glamorized not only conveys a powerful message of what's accepted, but it also conveys the wrong message that married people are boring and we're missing out on something. I'm going to tell you right now, this old boy's been married almost 30 years, and I'm not bored at all, amen? <laughs> Hallelujah. God made man and woman, and he said it was good, and I say, yay, amen. It's very good, amen. And by the way, I'm going to try to keep everything PG for the kids that some of you have managed to sneak in here today. But this is a message about adultery, so I'm just saying in advance, Okay. Now, I read all kinds of statistics. I read all kinds of stats this week while I was preparing for this message, and they were all over the place. So let me just say this about statistics, especially ones on a subject like this. When it comes to infidelity and adultery, it is hard to get accurate statistics. Number one, because people ain't going to tell the truth. (laughs) And number two, people tend to have different definitions of what the term adultery means. We argue over the semantics. Remember Bill Clinton? I did not have sex with that woman. <laughs> oh, you didn't? Well, you weren't playing checkers, I'll tell you that. Amen? See, we're, we're arguing over semantics. We're arguing over terms. The Journal of Marital and Family Therapy reported that in 41% of marriages, 41%, one or both spouses admitted to either physical or emotional uh, uh, infidelity. That's the ones that admitted to it. 17% of men and women admit to infidelity with a brother or sister-in-law. The average length of an adulterous affair is two years. Again, that's the ones that people admitted to. Now, how does this affect the children? Children of divorced parents are at least 50% more likely to get a divorce than those from unbroken homes. When both the husband and wife come from divorced families, the odds of divorce are 200% higher. Adultery affects marriage and it affects children. So before I define adultery, I want to back up a little bit just like I've been doing every week. And I want to first define what it means to be married. Shouldn't have to, but I have to in 2019. Now if you're single, you might say, well what does this have to do with me? Statistically, 91% of you are going to eventually get married. 
So listen up. What is marriage? The reason I need to define what should be easily understandable, and again, I know I'm going to offend somebody today, but I, I, that's not my intention, is because we live in a day that is profoundly confused about everything, particularly marriage. Marriage is supposed to be a very sacred thing. It was created by God between the first man and the first woman. So let me boil it down to the simplest of terms. Marriage is two things. Number one, it is a covenant. And number two, it is consummation. Let me, let me clarify what I mean by that. First of all, marriage is a covenant. Let me just give you one example from the scripture among many. Malachi chapter 2 verse 14. First from the New Living Translation, it says, You cry out, why doesn't the Lord accept my worship? I'll tell you why. Because the Lord witnessed the vows you and your wife made when you were young. But you have been unfaithful to her, though she remained your faithful partner, the wife of your marriage vows. Verse 14 from the NIV, You ask why? It is because the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. You have been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner, the wife, look, of your marriage covenant. Now he's speaking to the men here. The Lord witnessed the vows that you and your wife made. And I'm so glad I got the floor early because I know I'm going to go longer than my 40 minutes today. The Lord witnessed the vows that the husband and the wife made, and then God asked him, says, she is your partner and your wife by what? Everybody say it with me. Covenant. Covenant. Now, this is a big debate in our day. Is marriage a civil contract or is it a biblical covenant? Well, a civil contract is really just between two people. It's more of a, a business arrangement, a legal arrangement. It's like two partners merging into one firm. It's, it's civil. But as Christians, the Christian understanding, the biblical understanding is that marriage is not merely civil, but it is a covenant and it's not just between two people. It's between two people in God, with God, who oversees that covenant. Amen. Now this is why we see marriage differently than the greater culture does, because we're Christians. It also means that we understand that people should not get married who do not meet the biblical criteria. Amen? Now, the Bible says, for example, the Bible says, and, and what I'm talking about right now totally flies in the face of culture today. The Bible says that a believer and an unbeliever should not be in covenant with one another. Everybody say amen. Is that in the, in the book? Because one is in covenant with God and the other one is not. Which is also why, let me throw this out to the single folks, which is why single Christians should not be dating people who are not believers. You shouldn't. No reason to play the field with somebody that's not qualified to be your spouse. Two unbelievers can marry. Two believers can marry. But a believer and an unbeliever cannot marry biblically because if they're not in covenant with God, they should not be in marital covenant with one another. Now, that which is civil is civil. That which is covenantal is covenantal. And our view of marriage should be guided by the scriptures. And it doesn't matter what vote is taken. It doesn't matter what politicians determine or how society tries to redefine it. Ultimately, we need to care about what God says about marriage. Amen. So marriage, number one, is a covenant. That means it's permanent, it's exclusive, it's sacred. Number two, marriage is consummation. 
Because marriage is a covenant, it also includes consummation. Genesis 2.24, God's speaking to our first parents, Adam and Eve, and he says this. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. A man is joined to his wife, and the two become one flesh, consummation, intimacy. I'm talking about sex here. Marriage is between a man and a woman because God created us male and female. That's what the Bible says, amen. Two people who are not married to each other and are sleeping together, they're not automatically married because they have not entered into a covenant before God. All they have is consummation. Two people who are really good friends and love one another and spend time together but have not entered into covenant and have not consummated their relationship physically, they are not married. Marriage is covenant and consummation. Now, our culture is so messed up right now that people don't even believe that people are made male and female. I mean, who would have thunk it? Amen. We actually have a wave of thinking going through our world that says, you get to determine your own gender identity. So society says you're not a man or a woman, you're a person who gets to decide if you will live as a man or a woman. Now, I know it might seem like I'm digressing here, but this is an issue that's connected to the whole confusion thing about marriage. So I need to talk about it. Plus, it needs to be talked about anyway. Amen? So now, we live in a society where a man can dress like a woman or act like a woman, or a woman can dress like a man or act like a man, and they're sticking it in front of our children in school. They're, they're, they're having, I just read about something that happened this morning in Texas, and they're trying to tell us that it's okay, and not only is it okay, it's normal, and it says that you can undergo some sort of gender reassignment surgery and change your entire biological identity. By the way, can I just say this? Why are we surprised at this? Now, some of you are not going to like what I'm saying, and you're going to accuse me of being sexist and old-fashioned. But the truth is, we have been eroding the distinctions between male and female for generations now, and we have ended up here by our own foolish concessions. We have. So much has changed in my short, emphasis on the word short, lifetime. It is staggering to me. We have blurred the roles of men and women in the home, in the workplace, even in the military. We have removed all distinctions in how men and women dress, how they act, how they function, what their roles are. Come on, somebody. Everything's become gender neutral and people are so confused. Did you know they are now marketing bras and spanks to men? Are you kidding me? My good brother, drop a few pounds. Don't buy a bra, amen? Please don't buy a bra. <laughs> we, now, we now, you know, it's, it would be laughable if it wasn't so sad, right? We had men wearing makeup and jewelry that were designed exclusively for women. We joke about things like man, men having man crushes. And then we wonder why people are so confused. Pastor, you are so over-exaggerating. Am I? Am I? See, our society is encouraging kids to experiment with their sexuality and with their gender identities. And in the name of tolerance, we have lost all distinctions between male and female. That's why we are so messed up. 
I, I wish I would have put it on the screen. I was in Toronto back in October, and I saw a sign on a, on a uh, bathroom, and it had a man with pants. That's, that's the, the image all around the world of a men's bathroom, right? Man with pants, a stick figure with pants. Had a stick figure uh, in a skirt. That's the international symbol for a woman on a bathroom. And then next to it, it had a stick figure of a pants leg and a half skirt. And it said, gender neutral bathroom. And you're like, yeah, that'll never happen here. Oh, yes, it will. Oh, yes, it will. We've got biologically male athletes that are now self-identifying as female and they are crushing their female competitors at the high school and college levels and bragging about winning. You, you know what? This is almost funny. What a dilemma for the feminists and the leftists because now they cannot defend the gender-confused male for fear of, of offending the oppressed female. What do I do? <laughs> God made us male and female. Amen. Now, I'm going to qualify this. I want to be sensitive to those that are born in such a way anatomically and physically that there are complicated variables because there are some places, situations like that. But folks, that is a very extremely small minority. And you know what we do? We upset the entire apple cart of society for a very small minority of situations and we think it's right. Just like what I talked about last week about abortion. We, we make a lot of concessions about abortion because of the 3% that are supposedly by rape or incest. And we're forgetting about all the 97% of, of children that are murdered out of convenience. Amen? It's led us to why can't a man marry a man and why can't a woman marry a woman. And you can now in the United States. And so what we have today is not a definition of marriage. We have an absence of a definition of marriage. Because almost anything can be a marriage now. Trust me, if you live long enough, if I live long enough before the Lord comes back, you'll see polygamy legalized in this country. It's the next thing. Then you're going to see adults being able to marry children. It's the next thing. When does it stop? So before I talk about adultery, and I think, I think we've covered what a marriage is, I want to encourage you parents, before I come off of this whole male-female thing, I want to encourage you to affirm the traditional male and female roles in your home with your children. We've we got we to take back society, and it starts in the home, amen? With the ways our kids dress, with the ways our kids behave, with the ways they interact with the opposite sex, so we can reclaim gender, for crying out loud, in this world that we live in. Scripture says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Christians ought to think differently about everything, not just this thing. We believe that we're made male and female in the image and likeness of God, that marriage is not just civil and contractual, it is covenantal, it is for one man and one woman, and it is divine by covenant in the presence of God and consummation between the husband and the wife. Now, why is this such a big deal? Are you ready? Here it is. Because marriage is a portrait of something far greater. That's why this is such a big deal. Marriage is an illustration. It's a pattern. It's a precedent of something far more significant. The Bible tells us that marriage is a portrait and a symbol of Jesus' love for the church. Amen. 
Now you can read this in Ephesians 5 where it says Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to present her to himself as a radiant bride without spot or blemish. It culminates in Revelation 19 near the end of the Bible with a wedding. Now how many of you love going to an amazing wedding between a bride and a groom that are obviously in love with each other? Did you know the ultimate wedding is going to take place between Jesus and his people, amen? And I don't want to just be a spectator. I want to be part of the bride, amen? I want to be part of the bride. So now that we know what marriage is, let's talk about the seventh commandment. Don't commit adultery. The English word adultery comes from the same root as the word adulterate, which means to contaminate or to make impure. The Hebrew phrase is lo naaf, which means no apostatizing. To apostatize means to abandon your principles or your promises. Now, with adultery, everybody loses. Everybody say everybody loses. Everyone is scarred. Adultery is the supreme act of selfishness. Adultery not only violates the marriage vows you took before God, it violates another person, your spouse, and if you have children, it violates your children. Many people attempt to validate adultery with all kinds of beliefs and rationale. I love my wife and children, and I don't want a divorce, so it's better to have an affair for the sake of my family. My spouse is not fulfilling me sexually, so it's okay to find satisfaction somewhere else instead of a divorce. I think my spouse is being unfaithful, so I'm going to have a revenge affair too. I have needs my spouse won't or can't fulfill. I've been under a lot of stress. People come up with all kinds of rationalizations. But hear me, adultery is not a side street for your sexual frustrations and adventures. It is a destructive sin. And you want to know one way to prove this is true? You do not even have to be a believer or a Christian to acknowledge the destructive nature of adultery. Can I just for a minute throw the Bible out of it? Throw God out of it. Pretend none of us believe in God and none of us believe in the Bible. We still know adultery is wrong and destructive, right? Amen. You can take the religious part out and it is still a destroyer of homes, marriages, and children. Hebrews 13 and 4 says this, Marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. That same verse from the message says this, Honor marriage and guard the sacredness of sexual intimacy between husband, between wife and husband. Notice, God draws a firm line against casual and illicit sex. God draws a firm line, not a line written in pencil, not a wonderful suggestion, a firm line. Now, I want to spend the rest of my time showing you some ways you can draw firm lines that will help you to protect your marriage. And at the end, I want to show you how to recover if you or your spouse has committed adultery. So, are you ready? Number one, the first way to protect your marriage, make a commitment. Everybody say, make a commitment. See, some people are shocked to learn that God is pro-sex. But He is. He created it. But just like everything else that God can create, man can distort it and mess it up. All of God's gifts come with boundaries and must be controlled rather than abused. For example, you can't live without water, but too much of it will drown you. Fire can either warm you or burn you. It's all in how you handle it. God gave us an appetite for food. 
But in a lot of cases, people have abused it. And what, what do we do? We suffer obesity and disease and high blood pressure and sugar diabetes and all kinds of stuff. God also gave us an appetite for sex. But we can pervert it by ignoring the parameters and the boundaries that God has set. Now, properly controlled and expressed within a marriage, sex is beautiful. It's fantastic. But outside of marriage, it becomes destructive and detrimental to your spiritual, your emotional, even your physical health. We live in a sex-saturated society, and you don't stand much of a chance remaining pure today unless you make a commitment to live by God's guidelines regarding sex. Talking to single people and adults, amen? Now, hear me. Regardless of your failures in the past, I've got great news for you. You can make a commitment today to live by God's standards from this day forward. Amen. What is that commitment? Sex is for marriage only. And you need to decide right now that adultery will never be an option because you want to live by God's standards in your life. Being faithful is God's command. Look at Proverbs 5, 15 through 18. I love how this is written. Drink water from your own well. Share your love only with your wife. Why spill the waters of your springs in the streets having sex with just anyone? You should reserve it for yourselves. Never share it with strangers. Let your wife be a fountain of blessing for you. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. Make a commitment today if you are married to drink from your own well. And for you single people, here's a commitment that you can make. Don't practice cheating now. Now, now let me explain what I mean. Statistics will tell you that most men wait until about age 30 and women today are waiting until their late 20s to get married. Now, by the way, I'm not advocating getting married when you're super young. But one reason people are so promiscuous today is because people are remaining single so long. I mean, you're, you're remaining single during your prime physical years of 18 to 30. Or in my case, 18 to 60. Amen. <laughs> trying to help y'all laugh. Loosen up a little bit. My Lord. Some of y'all look like you got baptized in pickle juice. Amen. So you know what happens? People are spending their young adult years dating and inevitably committing fornication, which is premarital sex. Not worshiping and waiting like God wants us to do. In other words, we are practicing cheating. Talking to the single people. Singles, premarital sex, and playing around is just practicing for adultery. Well, I'm just having a little fun until I get married. No, you're not. You're practicing to cheat because if you're sleeping around, not only is it sinful, but you are cheating on God and you are not preparing to be faithful to one person. You're undermining your marriage before your marriage even starts. The plan should be chastity before marriage and fidelity or faithfulness in marriage. They go together. Number one, make a commitment. Number two, guard your heart. Everybody say guard your heart. Adultery always starts in the heart before it shows up in your hands. Now how many of you right now, now please don't raise your hand. My Lord. But, but don't raise your hand. But how many of you are relieved that you've never committed adultery? Now, don't raise your hand. Because guess what? Jesus might challenge that answer. Because you probably have. What? 
People think they know Jesus and we say things like this. Well, the God of the Old Testament, he was angry and he was harsh and he was cruel, but Jesus is nice. He's a nice guy. What does Jesus say in Matthew 5? Verse 27 and 28. You have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. You're hearing about it today, right? Boom, Old Testament, you've heard. But now look what he says in verse 28. But I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So all the faithful men, might as well go ahead and pull that arm on down. You don't know my heart. No, I don't. But I know if you're a man and you're breathing. See, I'm saved, but I ain't blind. Amen? In our marriage seminar, he said, I might be sanctified, but I'm not petrified. Amen? See, because when you hear the seventh commandment, people think adultery is what you do with your hands, your body. Jesus said you could commit heart adultery before you commit hand adultery. See, people don't just fall in immorality. There's really no such thing as a one-night stand. There's a process, a whole series of events that starts in our minds and, and it starts in our commitments breaking down and it starts in our convictions falling apart and it starts in us getting to a place where we're not where we ought to be before we make that decision. So we've got to guard our hearts. If you want to protect your marriage, guard your heart. Heart adultery includes emotional affairs. Let me talk to all the sanctified folk right now. An emotional affair is where you have adultery of the heart and it's not yet moved to your hands, but it will. It's only a matter of time. And if it doesn't, you're going to spend the rest of your life miserable and compromised in a less than stellar marriage because you're committing adultery in your heart. James 1, 14 and 15 says this, Temptation is the pull of a person's own evil thoughts and wishes. We always blame the devil. Read that verse again. Temptation is the pull of a person's own evil thoughts and wishes. These evil thoughts lead to evil actions and afterward to death. See now, can I give you some practical guidelines? If you have a friendship with someone of the opposite sex, particularly if there's any aspect of it that is private and personal and you're keeping it from your spouse, it is a sin. Well, no, it's not. They just wouldn't understand our relationship. No, it's because they're not supposed to understand your relationship. It's a compromised relationship. Well, they, they might get upset if they saw our text messages. Really? Why would they get upset about those text messages? Well, they would probably get upset if they knew that every so often we had lunch together and we talked together and we were, really? If you have to hide anything from your spouse, that needs to be a gut check. That needs to be a gut check. Amen? Before you get gut checked by your spouse. See, those kind of relationships, that's part of a marriage covenant relationship. There's certain things that you should only share with your spouse. I'm not saying you shouldn't have friends, but you got to have parameters around that friend. Can I, can I get real, real practical and hit real close to home? You don't get to have a work husband or a work wife either. Amen? Where in the world do we come up with that compromising term? See, we joke about this stuff, but we're setting ourselves up for failure. 
Don't even entertain the idea that someone you work with is meeting your needs that your spouse is not meeting. You are on a slippery slope. You are on a dangerous path. Heart adultery is inclusive of having a deep emotional relationship and a friendship with someone of the opposite sex who is not your spouse. Don't go there. Guard your heart. Amen? Everybody okay? We got four more to go. Y'all going to make it? Number three, consider the consequences. If you want to protect your marriage, consider the consequences. I told you last week how capital punishment ought to cause people to consider the consequences of committing murder, right? Well, all the consequences that are going to come from you committing adultery and getting caught, you need to think about that. You need to regularly remind yourself of the devastation and the destruction that is going to come by you fooling around. Because sexual sin always leaves scars. Now you might be in a bad marriage. I'm not trying to discount that. I'm not trying to gloss over that. But no matter how high the cost of restoring and maintaining your marriage is, the cost of adultery is always higher. You do incredible damage to your spouse. You do incredible damage to yourself. Proverbs 6.32 actually says this about yourself. It says, whoever commits adultery with a woman lacks understanding. He who does so destroys his own soul. You do incredible damage to your children. All the stories that I could tell you that would make you just want to sit down and cry. The children that I have seen destroyed and then grow into adults that are wounded. You do incredible damage to the church and your witness as a believer. You sin against the Lord. There's all kinds of consequences. 1 Corinthians 6, 18-20 says this, Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Verse 19, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. So how do you protect your marriage? Number one, make a commitment. Number two, guard your heart. Number three, consider the consequences. Number four, meet your spouse's needs. If you want to help prevent adultery, meet your spouse's needs. A relationship with your spouse where you're meeting each other's needs will reduce the pull and attraction of adultery. And I'm not just talking about sex here. Okay, one of my favorite books on marriage, and I put it in the notes, I don't know if they, they added it to the slides or not, is by Dr. Willard Harley, and he's a marriage counselor from Minnesota. He wrote a great book called His Needs, Her Needs. Write that down if you haven't, haven't heard of that book. His Needs, Her Needs. Now, throughout the years of his practice, he interviewed thousands of couples. He arrived at the top five needs of men, top five needs of women. I don't have time to talk about it today. You need to read that book. He's talking about how we have to meet our spouse's needs. Dr. Harley also talked about the love bank. You need to learn about that. I don't have time to teach about it today. It talks about how you make deposits into your relationship. You also make withdrawals. Get that book, amen? Every married couple, get that book. Now, the secret to a great marriage is to get serious about learning your spouse's needs and determining that you are going to meet your spouse's needs to the best of your ability, even if they're not the same as your needs. Marital breakups almost always occur when one or both partners lacks the skills or the awareness or the willingness 
to meet each other's needs. Some people have a lot of needs and they're very demanding. But if, and if those needs go unmet at your home, your spouse becomes vulnerable to the temptations of an affair. If somebody outside of your marriage begins to fulfill needs that are not being met within your marriage, your marriage is in trouble. Amen? Now, there's a lot of needs that we can talk about, but in the context of commandment number seven, let me talk about one of the biggest needs. In a survey of Christian men, they were asked to list the sins that they struggled with the most. 62%, the top answer, was sexual immorality. 62%. Now, that doesn't mean they were committing sexual sins. It means they struggled with that. Amen? God created men with a strong sex drive. And if you were in the marriage seminar, you learned about why he did it. Amen? Now, I'm not going to address that today because it was covered well, and we also have some sensitive ears. I'll just leave that one to all of y'all. Y'all are smart enough to know what I'm talking about. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 3 and 4. Here's what I'm talking about, about meeting your spouse's physical needs. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife's body does not belong to her alone, but also to... This looks a little different than my translation. Why, no, go back, I'm sorry. Go back to verse 2, if you can. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Amen. Did you notice those verses there? The Bible teaches that marital, marital intimacy is both a delight and a duty. Everybody say duty. See, your spouse has a delight drive, <laughs> amen, that seeks fulfillment, and it is your responsibility or your duty to make sure their needs are met. A scientific survey was done to discover what days of the week men like most to be intimate. They discovered that men like days that begin with a T. Tuesday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. <laughs> I think you get the idea, amen? <laughs> Folks, your spouse made a commitment to be faithful to you because they trusted you to meet their needs, including the delight need. Don't withhold from your partner the only acceptable means of fulfilling their sexual needs. When you get married, God sovereignly has created a gift that you get to give to your spouse as a wedding gift. Amen. Not only your body, everybody say delight, but the authority that you have over your body, everybody say duty. Don't miss this. The Bible says it is a duty, it's a responsibility of a married partner to meet the sexual needs of their spouse. Well, I don't like referring to it as a duty. Then make sure it remains a delight as you fulfill your duty. <laughs> I don't know how else to say it. Now, one way to protect your marriage is to remember that sex in marriage is not dirty. It is not sinful. It is given for pleasure and not just to produce children. It is not to be used as a reward or a punishment. Why am I saying all this? This stuff has actually been taught in churches. And it's not an optional part of marriage depending on your moods or your preferences. One reason that sexual immorality is so widespread is because God's plan has been so widely abandoned. Let's look at the Bible again, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Don't y'all love I'm giving you all this Bible on duty and delight? This time I want to read it from the message. Now, 
getting down to the questions you asked in your letter to me. First, is it a good thing to have sexual relations? Wouldn't that have been hilarious if that would have been the entire context of the letter and he didn't fill out the rest of it? What, where, where's the rest? He didn't, he didn't give no answers. Verse 2, certainly, but only within a certain context. Everybody say boundaries. It's good for a man to have a wife and for a woman to have a husband. Sexual drives are strong, but marriage is strong enough to contain them. Oh, I love that. Your marriage covenant is strong enough to contain your drives and provide for a balanced and fulfilling sex life in a world of sexual disorder. Man, I'm telling you, this could have been written in 2019. Verse 3, the marriage bed must be a place of mutuality. The husband seeking to satisfy his wife, the wife seeking to satisfy her husband. Marriage is not a place to stand up for your rights. That's manipulation, by the way. Marriage is a decision to serve the other, whether in bed or out. Man, could you put it a little more bluntly? Verse 5, abstaining from sex is permissible for a period of time if you both agree to it, if it's for the purpose of prayer and fasting, but only for such times. Then come back together again. Satan has an ingenious way of tempting us when we least expect it. Wow. I never had to remember those verses in sword drills growing up. I don't recall them teaching us that. Meet your spouse's needs. Amen. Imagine it this way. If I can be more practical here. Man arrives home from work. He says, man, I'm hungry, I'm hungry, I'm hungry. And the wife says, what are you talking about? I made you breakfast and you ate it. You went out for lunch today. Now you want dinner? What are you, some kind of a glutton? You are hungry all the time. You are so selfish. You're such an animal. See, see, nobody would, nobody would do that, would they? No one would call your God-given desire for food at mealtime selfish. So why would any wife call her husband's God-given desire for sex selfish? Why would any man think that his wife was being selfish if she felt like her physical needs were being unmet? And men, this goes both ways. The Bible does not teach that a married person should always have to be exercising self-control. Well, you're a godly man, just deal with it. Nope, some of the Bible says. Depriving your spouse. The scripture gives you the outline of how and when. It says, if you both agree to it, and if it's for the purpose of prayer and fasting. And then he says, come back together. Come together right now. Amen. Come together. Scripture says only deprive under four conditions when you both agree, when it's for a limited time, when you're temporarily devoting yourself to prayer, and then agree to come back together soon. Sexual intimacy ought to be the norm, never the exception. Number five, if you want to protect your marriage, maintain proper relationships. I almost used the word boundaries right there, so you, you write down whichever word you like better. Maintain proper relationships or maintain proper boundaries. Most affairs occur between close personal friends. 
co-workers, family members. Amen. I'm not just talking about you're on a business trip to Vegas and you go down to the bar where you shouldn't be anyway and you hook up with somebody and you, you barely even know each other's names. And that's, not, that's not an affair. That's just animalistic lust. I'm talking about an affair. It's with people you know and it's people that you're close to. You've got to build boundaries. And since we have to deal with people every day of our lives, how do you maintain proper relationships? Unless you're a counselor, don't be listening to members of the opposite sex tell you about their marriage problems. Amen? Oh, I just, I'm just going to be a listening ear. Well, that's how you're starting out. Here's another piece of advice about maintaining boundaries. Don't go fishing for compliments from people that are not your spouse. Also, be cautious about the kind of compliments you give to members of the opposite sex. Amen? There's a big difference in saying, wow, that's a beautiful dress, and man, you look amazing in that dress. <laughs> be careful about the way you use compliments. Be aware of the chemistry between you and a member of the opposite sex. Can I just be real plain here? You know it. You can feel it. You can sense it. Quit trying to act like you don't know it. Sometimes you pick up vibes, sometimes you put off vibes, and you try to act like the nerd with the pencil protector in his pocket, but you know what's going on. You need to squash it, you need to kill it, amen? And you know what? Sometimes if somebody's giving you vibes, you need to put on your nerd glasses and your pencil protector, and you need to flash your wedding ring and say, I've been married for 29 years, hallelujah. Run them off. Run them off. Be aware of chemistry. Maintain proper boundaries. Flirting is over outside of your marriage. It's over. Don't place yourself in situations where you know you're going to get tempted. Remember what the scripture was when you said Satan is a master at setting us up when we least expect it. Recognize the circumstances. Can I make it plain? Know your weaknesses and your buttons and stay away from those situations. You already know what kind of movies get you going the wrong way. You already know what atmosphere messes you up. You already know the people that mess you up. Be wise. Recognize the circumstances. 1 Corinthians 10 Verse 12, so be careful. If you are thinking, oh, I would never behave like that, let this be a warning to you, for you too may fall into sin. You know what? There was a prominent Christian comedian, I'm not even going to mention his name, but just a couple of weeks ago, some of his sexual indiscretions uh, came to the surface. And you know what, I, I was actually very impressed with the overall consensus of the body of Christ. Was Let's pray for this man, let's not kick him while he's down. But you know what, we've got to be honest about this area of our weakness, and we've got to maintain boundaries. Somewhere in this man's life, he compromised boundaries that he knew he couldn't and shouldn't have compromised. We've got to be smart and we've got to be honest. Be careful, the scripture said. Here's another way you can maintain good, relation, good boundaries. See people as family. Body of Christ, brothers, sisters, mothers, fathers. If you want to conquer your own biology, <laughs> stop seeing people sexually and start seeing them as family. 1 Timothy 5, 1, 1 and 2 says this, Never speak harshly to an older man, but appeal to him respectfully as you would to your own father. 
Here's another one. Talk to younger men as you would to your own brothers. Number two, verse two, treat older women as you would your mother and treat younger women with all purity as you would your own sisters. Did you realize, if we observe those two verses, we could change our whole world. He said, don't speak harsh to old guys. Don't speak down to young guys. Treat older women like you would your mom. Treat younger women. I love how they added the with all purity part. As you would your own sisters. Appeal to old men as fathers. Older men as fathers. Talk to younger men as brothers. Treat older women like you would your mom. Younger women like you would your sister. See, Jesus did this. Mary and Martha were two women in the Bible that were almost like sisters of Jesus. He loved them. And, he, and they were friends, but there was never anything sexual or inappropriate about their relationship. There are women in this church who feel like sisters to me. Lillian, raise your hand. Lillian and I have been friends since we were teenagers. I've known Lillian since before, since before I even met my wife. She's like a sister to me. I mean, we've, we've grown up together. And there's other people in this, this room like that. And now that I'm in my 50s, there's younger women here that are like daughters to me. Miranda and Alexis and some of the girls that were friends to my daughters. They were in my house when they were little kids having slumber parties. And I I feel like a dad, a second dad to some of them. There are women in this church that are like mothers to me. Uh, Granny Fuller, love her to death. She's like a mom to me. Amen? And can I also say that's another reason why my church secretary is like a mother to me. Hallelujah. You ain't got to worry about Brother Thompson and his church mother. Amen. You got to be smart. Think of women as mothers, daughters, sisters. It's a great way to shut down being sexually interested in them. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 3. Pastor, don't you think you're being a little excessive? Read, Read this verse. But among you... There must not be even a hint. Everybody say a hint. Must not even be a hint of sexual immorality. I know our girls used to get tired of this growing up, but we always, and it wasn't about stuff like this, but we were always telling them, don't let people see what you're doing and think poorly of what you're doing. Don't, people will misunderstand your motives. People will will. Oh, you're being excessive. No, no, no. Don't let people assume. Don't even let there be a hint. Don't even let them think. But this verse says, don't let there be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Let me wrap things up. Praise team, band, come on up. How do you protect your marriage? Number one, make a commitment. Number two, guard your heart. Number three, consider the consequences. Number four, meet your spouse's needs. And number five, maintain appropriate relationships or boundaries with other people. Now, before I close, what do you do if you've already messed up? What do you do if you're already in the middle of an adulterous situation right now? Maybe it hadn't become hand adultery yet, but it's very much heart adultery. You know it, they know it. What do you do? I want to read a story from the Bible, John chapter 8, verse 1. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered 
and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, all right, let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Hmm. This thing just escalated real quick. Then he stooped down, began to write in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest. Don't, don't, get, don't let that part be lost. The old guys realize real quick, oh yeah, yeah. Put my rock down and slide out real easily here. Until only Jesus was left. You know what I love about this verse? It says all the accusers left and Jesus was the only one left. You know why? He wasn't there to accuse. Hallelujah. The only one that had a right to accuse. The only one that, who had the authority to reach down and pick up a stone. The only one who really had the mojo to say, yeah, I haven't done it. So girl, get ready. Here comes a rock. He was the only one left. And verse 10 says, he stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? Verse 11, no, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. And here's your answer for those of you who are trapped in the middle of something right now. Or maybe you've done something and you're not proud of it. You're not happy with it. Here it is. Go and sin. Go and sin. Let's all stand all over this room. I, I apologize for going so long today. But I, I feel like this needs to be addressed. We need to cover this thoroughly. How many of you right now, let's, let's do this. Every head bowed, every eye closed, because I don't want anybody to feel uncomfortable in this house. Praise team, band, you do the same thing unless you need to see to play. How many of you right now, you feel like Jesus is standing over you? And in your heart, you feel like I'm guilty. But I've got good news for you. Instead of a stone, Jesus has a question. Where are your accusers? Because guess what? In this building that you're in right now, there are none. Where are your accusers? You see, Jesus is reminding us that none of them are without sin and they have all left the scene. Jesus said, hear this adulterer, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Then instead of going to the rock pile, Jesus went to the cross. Hallelujah. Instead of going to the rock pile, he went to the cross and he died for this woman's adultery. And you know what? Jesus went to the cross and he died for your sins and he died for my sins too. He paid the penalty of death so we could receive life. 
And all he asks us to do is go and sin no more. So I'm going to ask you today, if you've been unfaithful to your mate, whether it's hidden or out in the open, there's still hope. You can come to Jesus for cleansing, and he will say, neither do I condemn thee, as he did to the woman in our story. But he's also going to say, go and sin no more. Now, I can't guarantee that your spouse is going to be as forgiving as Jesus, but I want you to know, marriages can be rebuilt. Here's three things real quick that you got to do if you want forgiveness from hand adultery or heart adultery. Are you ready? Real quick, number one, you got to acknowledge the sin. Stop rationalizing it and call it for what it is, sin. Make a commitment to be pure. Number two, you got to end the relationship immediately. Hear me. Hand adultery, heart adultery, don't delay. You got to quit the relationship immediately. You got to avoid contact with the person. You cannot be friends with someone you have been a lover with if you're married. You got to do what it takes to end it. And then, third, you need to ask for forgiveness because the Lord will not turn away from a repentant heart. Acknowledge the sin in the relationship ask for forgiveness keep your head down because I know God's talking to some people he's talking right now you already know there's a work relationship but you got to redefine the parameters you got to redefine the boundaries there's some phone numbers you need to lose there's some people you need to cut out of your contact list but what are they going to think who cares what they think you've got a marriage to protect you've got a soul to secure So today, I'm going to open this altar. And I want to close with Malachi 2, 13, 16. Raise your heads. I just want to read this last verse, and then we're going to gather around this altar. He says, and here's the second offense. You fill the place of worship with your whining and sniveling because you don't get what you want from God. He said, you know why? Simple. Because God was there as a witness when you broke, when you spoke your marriage vows to your young bride. And now you've broken those vows. Broken the faith bond with your vowed companion, your covenant wife. God, not you, made marriage. His spirit inhabits even the smallest details of marriage. And what, do, what does he want from marriage? Children of God, that's what. So guard the spirit of marriage within you. Don't cheat on your spouse. Verse 16, he said, I hate divorce, says the God of Israel. God of the angel army says, I hate, look at this, the violent dismembering of the one flesh of marriage. So watch yourselves. Here's the last sentence. Don't let your guard down. Don't cheat. Don't cheat. Protect your marriage. Look down the road. What do you want for your future? You might not be able to change your past, but you can work for a better tomorrow. Amen? So again, kind of like we did last week, because I don't want to single anybody out or anybody feel uncomfortable coming forward, I want to ask the entire church family to step forward, if you would. Let's gather around this altar. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to have a time of prayer. And those of you who need healing, or you need forgiveness for hand adultery or heart adultery. You just mingle right on in the crowd because nobody's going to ask you to raise your hand. Nobody's going to call you out. That is not going to happen today. That is not going to happen. But we're
we're going to give God a chance to move in these next few moments and heal. We're going to give God a chance to operate and give Him a chance to work. See, I, I, I could have brought people up here to testify today whose families have been absolutely and utterly destroyed by adultery. I could also bring people up here who can testify that God healed and has miraculously restored their marriages and their homes despite adultery. This happens all over the place, but you know what? We've got to begin by asking God to heal and touch and forgive. So can we begin to pray together right now as a body of Christ? And maybe if this issue doesn't even apply to you, why don't you begin to pray for your brothers and sisters right here that are gathered in this altar? Can we do that? We need the body of Christ to be strengthened and whole and pure. Let's pray together. Amen. As they begin to sing, let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, help us today. Help me to realize, God, that when I cheat against my spouse, I'm cheating against you. I'm cheating against your body. That's it. That's it. That's it. Can you hear it? Help us today, Lord. That's it. We want His Spirit to break out on us today, God. The sound of heaven Help us, Lord, to stand for righteousness. Our Help us to stand for purity. All of heaven Lord, heal our land. Heal our marriages. Heal our homes. That's it. Heal our homes, God. this place erupt with praise. Can you hear Help us to build boundaries that are appropriate. The sound of heaven touching Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. 